Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time that we can study together. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful week that you gave to each and every one of us. And we thank, we're thankful also for the Sabbath hours that we're in, that we can rest from our labors. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to put aside our burdens even now, that we can come and focus upon your word and to come and hear your voice speak to us. May you please, Lord, grace us with thy presence. Please give us your Holy Spirit to lead and teach us and guide us into all truth. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And as usual, I have the slides here. And as I said, we're looking at a famous character in the Bible this evening. Hebrews 11.32, the Bible says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, all of these people we've studied already, and then of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. David, he occupies a large space in the Bible, in history. It's really hard to pick out just one individual story. And um, I want to just start with the story that is the most famous of all stories. And you can probably guess what it is. We find it in all the children's story books as well. It is the story of David and Goliath. We'll focus on that as this is probably the earliest um, story in the life of the faith of David where we see him exercising great faith, tremendous faith, and some would say even probably the greatest faith throughout his whole life. But before we go to his story, it's found in 2 Samuel, pardon me, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, just a little bit of a background leading up to this point where David is about to fight Goliath. David at this time, when he comes and he's standing before Goliath, he's already been anointed king secretly by Samuel the prophet. And Saul is still king, but um, Samuel had to go to David's town pretending that he was going there to sacrifice and secretly anoint David as the next king of Israel. God is now making the choice instead of the people, but Saul People are beginning to quickly, they're beginning to realize very quickly that Saul is not the leader that they were hoping he, he would be. And so he's impetuous, he's a fiery, hot-tempered leader, and they can't really trust him. A rash man, capable of doing anything, really, if you cross his path in the wrong way. And so, as a result for Saul, an evil spirit had come upon him, and um, God had rejected him already. And... David now, he's been anointed, and we pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting there in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. 
Pardon me, I forgot to change the slide there. But look, the Philistines, they've come looking for trouble with the Israelites. They're pitched on one side of a mountain, and on the other side, the Israelites are pitched. And out comes Goliath, their champion. The Bible says uh, that he was six cubits and a span. What is six cubits and a span? You see, one cubit is about half a meter. So six cubits, three meters tall. Goliath is about nine feet tall. He is a giant. For reference, uh, I think a basketball hoop is about 10 feet tall. I, I'm not sure. Maybe I might be mistaken, but he is one foot shy of the height of a basketball hoop, you know. And so he is a giant. He's really tall. And look, he wasn't just any ordinary giant. You got to understand this. You see, people that normally get that tall, right? They're really skinny. Their, their bones and their muscles can't hold them up. They're kind of a bit deformed. They're too tall. But this wasn't the case with Goliath. He was tall but he was also muscular. He was built. Look at what the Bible describes about the armor that he wore and then his shield and sword and different things. Look what the Bible says here in 1 Samuel 17, continuing in verse 5. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear like it was a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. At, in verse 5 there, it says that the weight of the coat was how much? 5,000 shekels of brass. Friends, do you know how heavy that is? That is about 41 kilograms or 91 pounds. His armor, his armor was 41 kilograms. Some ladies are about that weight. Do you understand that? So he was not some skinny person walking around tall and skinny and deformed. He was built he was strong. He was a giant. And that doesn't even include his helmet of brass and the greaves of brass, which is the brass that would cover his legs. He was wearing armor from head to foot. I mean, head to foot? Yes, head to foot. I'm sorry. And on top of that, it says that his spear's head alone weighed 600 shekels. And it sounds a lot, but that's about seven kilograms. Just the head, not the whole spear. You got to understand this. And seven kilograms doesn't sound like a lot. 15 pounds does not sound like a lot. But this is just the tip of the spear, the spear's head. 15 pounds or seven kilograms. We can understand here now why Saul is probably trembling and the whole army is trembling. He, he represents, Goliath represents the mother of all problems, the trial of all trials, the greatest of all problems that you might ever, ever face in life. These are the sorts of problems that come into your life just once in a lifetime, ready to crush out your spirit and any hope and, and joy that we have in our lives. You know, friends, have you ever experienced such a problem before? Young people, probably you haven't. 
problems, they, they come sparsely when you're young, but they, they seem to increase as you get older and older and older. It's called the midlife crisis for a reason. Why? Because many of us maybe have never faced such tremendous problems until we get to that point. But Goliath, he represents the biggest of all problems that we ever face, ready to crush out your life and your spirit, and you feel like giving up on God and tempting to just abandon him altogether. This was the experience of Saul. And he wasn't ready. An evil spirit had come upon him, you see. But he comes out, Goliath comes out with a challenge. If you defeat me, the Philistines and us will be your servants. But if we defeat you, you will be our servants. Let's continue reading. 1 Samuel 17, verse 10. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Saul was afraid. Why? God wasn't with him anymore. God had abandoned him, you see. He was the first king of Israel and it was chosen by man, yes, but God was with him at the very beginning. But it seemed that Saul always seemed to walk in his own will and his own way. And um, he just stopped obeying God. The last straw was when God asked him to kill all the Malachites, all the women and children, all their cattle and all everything. And Saul, he went halfway. And that was the last straw. God was testing him to see if he could really trust him because he would be a man that would trust God's word to the very T, even though sometimes it didn't make sense. But Saul didn't. And as a result, what happened? We read there back in 1 Samuel 16, verse 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. You see, God had rejected him from being king. And he had chosen someone else. And we all know who that is. David, of course, who was anointed secretly by Samuel while Saul was still yet alive. So that's why the whole host of Israel is trembling. God is not with them because God is not with their leader. And it just goes to show how important it is when you are a leader and how being the man of the house is such an important position because that is the position of influence. Through the leader, through the head of the home, if God is not with the leader of the home, the chances are God will not be the leader of anyone in the home. And so it was with the children of Israel. They were trembling. They were afraid because at the time when they're looking at their leader for strength and support, he's in his tent, scared. Scared. However, David has already been secretly anointed king and God is sending him on the way. God is in control. He's orchestrating all these events according to his will and according to his best timing as well. Let's continue. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 12. Now David was a son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to battle. So the three older brothers were in the army, 
And the names of his three sons that went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. And Jesse said unto his son David, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. Look, there's some things to note here as we read through this long passage here, but David, he's the, the youngest of eight brothers. His three, the oldest brothers, were in the army of Saul. David is the youngest. He was, would naturally be at home. So at this time, when Goliath comes out, David's not present, but he's sent by the father. Why? to see how his three older brothers are doing and to send them some food. David, he's just at home following what his dad wants. The youngest, maybe you could say the spoiled one, well, we don't know. But David is being sent to where Goliath is. God is in control already. It seems like man has one reason, but God, he's got a different. Let's continue, shall we? Verse 19. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up of the champion, the Philistines, Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and was sore afraid. David has just arrived. He's come into the camp, and just at that time, Goliath comes out and issues another challenge. He's taunting them. He's making fun of them. He's cursing at them. And David looks around and he sees everybody's afraid. So he gets curious. At least that's what it seems like, right? When we look from the outside in at the bigger picture, a young boy, never been to battle before, and now he's curious to see what the battlefield is like. And not only that, there's rumors that this this huge giant there in the Philistine camp. And so it seems from outward appearances, David's curiosity just got the better of him. But God had other plans. You see, he was stirring David's heart. He was moving upon David to do something bigger. So David asks, what's going on? And this is a reply that he gets from his older brother. Look at this. 1 Samuel 17, 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David and said, Why camest thou hither, down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come that thou mightest see the battle. From the outset of reading the story, we know that Eliab has already got the wrong picture. 
the father had sent him to give them food. But David was just asking, what's going on, what's going on? And Eliab comes to this conclusion. You're just being mischievous. You've been curious. You shouldn't be here, David. Why have you left those sheep alone back at home? Go home! This is not the place for young boys like you. You see, Eliab tries to reprimand David. But look at David's reply. Look at this. And this is the key text that we want to dwell on today. Verse 29, David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason why all this is happening? David could see that this was not by chance that he was here, that he just happened to be here at this time. He could discern the movings of providence. He could see God's hand in all of this. He somehow knew that he was there for a reason, more than just delivering food for his brothers and bringing back a report to his dad about how the brothers were doing. You see, David understood the winds of providence and the guiding hand of God. You know, friends, what the world looks at as chance, it really isn't. It's God's providence. And the two are very close. Why? It's not the difference in act. It's not that one is different from the other. It's how the individual looks at it. It's how it's perceived by each person. Does that make sense? Chance and providence are really the same situation, but to different people. One looks at it, it's chance. Oh, I just happened to be here at this time. What was the probabilities of that happening? That's chance. We don't think too much about it. It was just a surprise. It was something that tickled my fancy. But providence is the same situation, recognizing that God brought us here to this point for a certain reason. And David, he sees it. You see, to David's brothers... They just thought that David was wanting to play, to see what he was like and to see what war was like, pardon me, and curiosity got the better of him. He was just being a young boy, being a busybody. Surely God wasn't bringing him, of all people, to come and fight the part of Saul's army. He was too young. He was too inexperienced. He was, he was their younger brother. What was he doing there? He had no right, in a sense. But to David... Wasn't there a reason? Isn't there a cause? He had been brought there for such a time, for a purpose, for a reason. God's providence. And you see, friends, the question that I have for you this evening so far at this point is do you understand when God guides your life? Can you tell the difference between providence or chance? Do you know that all things work together for good? and that God has His reasons for things to work out this way? Do you recognize when God is trying to lead you in a certain direction that can change the whole tenor of your family's life or your work or your studies or even your relationships? David understood this because, you see, he had faith. He'd been walking with God. And in the providence that God set him up for, he could recognize that because he understood God's heart. And God could see that he could trust him and trust him with not just the kingdom, but even the situation. 
And so when he, David, arrived at the scene of battle, he could discern God's leading. And that's the thing, you know. That's the thing that we got to understand for ourselves. And I'm going to be going deeper into this tomorrow for our divine service. Please do join us at 11.30. But there is a fine line between chance and providence. And it's not the circumstance or the situation. It's our heart. Can you see that God leads you to this place for such a time and for such a reason? And can you see that it leads you to this point or, or allows people to come into your lives for such a time and for such a reason? I, I meet many students in our churches and, and many from overseas and from Sabah or Sarawak or, or even from out of the country. And I always remind them, God did not bring you back or bring you here just to study. He brought you here to save your life. He brought you here for a reason. Maybe that was to revive you, to lift you up, or for you to save someone else's soul. And in this case, this was a situation for David. And this would not be the only time that God would guide David's, David's life so clearly. But this was the first of many. You see, when David was a fugitive, he was running from Saul. Saul finally figured out. He put two and two together. God's rejected me and this guy is being exalted. God's going to make this man king. He got jealous of David and he was wanting to kill him so that his son Jonathan would be the next king, you see. And so as, as Saul was hunting David down like a, a dog and a wild animal, one time Saul was resting in a cave and David and his men were, seen, were just hiding there. And... Um, his men told him, this is God guiding. Kill him. This is God leading. Let's kill him. David said no. He said no. Providence, it may seem. But here he could even then discern the moving of God's spirit. Another time, Saul and his whole army was asleep in the middle of the night and David, one of his soldiers, his men, crept down into the camp and took his spear with him. And the soldier that was with him said, David, just give me one shot. One shot is all I'll need to pin him to the ground and kill him. This is God's providence. What would you say then, friends? Would you be able to discern the, the providence of God in guiding you to that situation when everyone else around you is telling you something opposite to what God wants you to do? So David is familiar with not only the providence of God, but especially the voice of God. And here, in the camp of the Israelites, just as he arrives, he understands God's providence. Friends, would you be able to discern God's guidance when everyone around you and the circumstances at hand seem to indicate differently? This is why we need such a close walk with God to be able to understand when to move forward and when not to. The circumstances seem favorable in the case of Saul when he was asleep or in the cave, but yet it was not God's will for Saul to die by the hand of David. It was not for David to lift up his hand against the Lord's anointed. He understood providence. And so friends, we got to be so careful with that because why? There is a fine line, but yet they are worlds apart from what is the providence of God and chance. 
But coming back to the story of David and Goliath, you know, by and by, Saul hears of David and the whispers are going out, oh, this boy, he's asking about, uh, you know, Goliath. And, you know, he's brought in before Saul. The rumors are getting there. This man is willing to go out and fight. So David is brought in. And look what the Bible says. 1 Samuel 17, 31. And when the words were heard, which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said moreover, The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. David is rehearsing to Saul how he has saved the sheep from a lion and from a bear. David could really see clearly how God is guiding his life. Now he understood why God had brought him up as a shepherd. It was to train him to fight against Goliath one day. It wasn't because he was the youngest. It wasn't because his brothers didn't like to be a shepherd. It wasn't because they all thought that he would not make anything of himself. It was God that made him a shepherd boy to train him for this very moment. And David saw that. He said, God, he put me in this situation and I killed the bear. I killed the lion. Who is this man? I'll kill him too. God will fight for me gave him great faith. He understood why he was a shepherd boy. You know, sometimes it's in these humble duties of life that we kind of despise it. No one's watching. No one's around. I'm all alone. I'm all by myself. But even verily in these times, friends, God is training. God is refining. God is cutting. He's preparing us. He understands. But do you? He knows what we best need. Why am I here in Malaysia? Why am I earning this much? Why am I earning this little? Why, God, did I have to quit my studies? Why, God, don't I have a job? Why, God, you know, when I was younger, my mom always told me, Ben, 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 you wash the dishes. I always, always, the proverbial dishwasher. I haven't figured out to this day why it happened, but, you know, I guess God knew that I needed more training more than anyone else. But God has His reasons. Do you understand the reason as to why you are where you are today? Not because of rebellion or all of that, no, but you you are here in a certain situation because God is trying to train you for something bigger and better, to glorify His name. And David was faithful in that which was least. So he's ready to be faithful in that which is much. And so here's Saul's reply. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail, and David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. 
He didn't want to go. That's what the word essayed means. He stopped. He paused. He hesitated it. Why? Because he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. You know, friends, Saul gives him the armor. He gives him the very best, his own personal armor. Yet David doesn't want to use it. Why? Because he hadn't proved it. You know, so many of us, when we read the Bible stories, you see this little boy trying to fit into a big armor and he looks clumsy. He looks out of sorts. That was not the case for David. David was not a little boy. He was a youth, but he was a grown man. Do you understand that? He killed a lion and a bear. He, he lived as a shepherd. He was out there in the frost, in the heat. He took care of sheep. He was a hardened person already at this time. He was built, muscular. He fit probably perfectly in Saul's armor. But it's the reason why he decided not to use it is because he would, had not proved it. He had not tested the armor for himself. He did not know how to use it. He wasn't being arrogant, but he could only go to battle with what he was familiar with. And so it is with us, friends. We can't walk in the path of another man's faith. Everyone has a different path to walk that God has mapped out for them. And we got to prove for ourselves that God is true and that he can be trusted. We can't use the experience of others to be the example of how we live our lives. We can't use their stories and their testimonies. God has to guide our lives so personally, so intimately, and so tenderly. We have to prove it for ourselves. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. We must know by personal experience how to move forward. And too often we like to ask this person and that person, and we like to spend so much time asking humans sinful, erring humans, that we think what we think God wants for us, that we almost many times take their voices as the voice of God. But you know, friends, we've got to learn by personal experience with Jesus how God wants us to live and the path that He's mapped out for each and every one of us. It's good to have aspirations, you know, move to another country, to Australia, to US, to anything, but get me off this, this country, Malaysia. And so often we look to the future and we forget to be faithful in the present. We think of future glories and not present realities. But David, he had a personal experience with God. When he was alone in the wilderness with the sheep, and the bear and the lion came, he knew that God was the one that delivered them, him. He knew that it was God's protecting care that he stood there to tell these stories. He had a personal encounter with Jesus. And as he stands before Saul, he realizes why God allowed all these things to happen. It is evidence to himself and even to Saul that God had put him in this time to be the savior for the Israelites. 1 Samuel 17, 40. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistines. You know, some people ask, why five stones? Why not just one? <laughs> 
if David had so much faith, why did he take five stones? Did he not trust God that God could do it with one? You see, it wasn't that, friends. We have to do our best. And then we can let God do the rest. God will not do for us what He's left for us to do. You know, it's not a certainty. We don't go out with just one arrow, right? Walking by faith does not mean sitting around in idleness waiting for God to lift our arms and our feet. It's putting our lives in the path of providence so that God can use us. We have to prepare to the best of our ability. So he took five. You know, friends, when we have an exam, we pray, yes, but we still have to study to the best that we can. Yes, rest on the Sabbath and trust God that he'll, he'll make up for that lack. But during the other six days, we must labor. We got to work to the best of our ability and then and only then can we expect that God will help us. David took five smooth stones. Little did he know that he'd only need one. Let's continue. Verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. He did not say, I come with you to you with a sling. You come to me with a, a sword and a shield and a spear, but I come in what? In the name of the Lord. Even at this point, He did not rely on His talent. He did not rely on the fact that he had killed a bear and a lion, that this man would be nothing. He didn't let his guard down. He knew that victory would only be given through the Lord. You know, friends, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. We are saved through the name of God the name of Jesus. That's where our all-sufficiency comes from. That's where salvation comes from. Not by works, not by anything that we've done or that we can do or think we're able to do. No talents that we possess. No, friends. The sufficiency and salvation of Christ is found in Him alone. When we get to heaven, we've done nothing to merit salvation. We've got to remember that. And so even with David, he didn't rely on his past successes. Yes, it was used as a fact that, okay, God led me to this point. I know that he's going to help me because he helped me with this and with that. And he uses that as a springboard to face more temptations or trials, whatever we might call that, or problems. But he still comes in the name of the Lord. You know, it's too often that when we get successes over this, we, we let it get to our head and we forget and we let go of Jesus many times, isn't it, friends? But we've got to remember to take our victories to the Lord as well and remember that He's the one that provides it. Furthermore, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, the name of the Lord 
is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is saved. David, he came in the name of the Lord. Goliath, he wasn't defying the armies of Israel. He was defying the God that stood behind the armies of the Israelites. And so he comes. 1 Samuel 17, 48. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. We know this story. It's been told a hundred times over in the multitude of children's stories books and even older, the teens books. And, you know, it's a famous story. David had victory. But you know, David had such great faith in God, in the name of God, that he could have thrown the stone even the opposite direction to which Goliath was. And I believe that that stone would have still met its target because it wasn't the talent of David. It was the arm of God that was providing for him and and guiding him and leading him to this point. Of course, David didn't do that. But it was still faith that wrought the victory for him. And it wasn't talent. It wasn't past experience. It was his trust in God and trust in his name that God had brought him here for such a time as this and that gave him the strength to face Goliath and even then give him victory. Friends, Are you facing a Goliath in your life at this moment? A problem that's so big that it makes you fearful? Makes you want to lose hope and give up hope in God? Have you been just minding your own business and it just seems like life took a really mean and low blow to you? Trouble came looking for you even when you were doing your very best to avoid it at all costs. Has life knocked you down low? This is the time to start exercising faith in God, you know. This is the time to hold on the tightest to Him ever from what you've ever experienced before. David understood that and his life was building up to it. But to many of us, the Goliaths in our lives catch us by surprise and it sweeps us off our feet. But the fact that you're listening to this this evening And whenever you might be listening to it, it shows me that God, He's still in control of your life and He's guiding you for a reason. And He's telling you this evening to not let go. Yet, there's another group that has no idea about what I'm talking about. That, what? What, Goliath? My life has been good. God is good. There hasn't been any problems. Well, it's time to start building your faith. Time to start experiencing God's providence in your lives at an intimate and personal level. Because it's only a matter of time before Goliath rears his ugly head and comes looking for you, you know. And I know that God never makes mistakes. He will use every situation to refine our characters. For David, it was a shepherd boy. And right now, wherever you are, 
I know that God is refining your character. And you might be tempted to complain about your circumstances and your situation, but I want to remind you this evening, it might not be the Goliath in your life, but I know that at this time, wherever you are, God can and will and is still willing to work in you and through you, to prepare you for the Goliath that will come sooner or later. And so tonight, right now, wherever you are, maybe all is peaceful and happy. I know that right there, God, He's preparing. He's refining. He's chipping away. Ready to set you up for the greater problems that will come. So that you can face life head on in spite of all the problems that come. But we've got to take this, not take this time for granted. Let's not waste it away. Let's make sure to prepare for the time of trouble in the times of peace and prosperity. You know, today, right, right now, as I'm preaching this, we're in 2020. We're in the midst of a pandemic that's never been seen before, at least not in any of our lifetimes. And, uh, you know, many are suffering today because in times of peace, they thought that that was a time to enjoy life even more. Buy more toys, buy more gadgets, go travel more, eat out more, enjoy life. And through this pandemic, you know, I, I read an article somewhere that more people than ever before now are, are, are saving, not spending, because they don't know what will come tomorrow. But you see, that's the problem, friends. For some, it's too late. It's too late to start saving because... Some people have to start relying on their savings because they got nothing coming in on a regular basis, no income. You see, friends, it's when times are good that we have to prepare. It's when times are good that we have to start saving. We've got to make it a habit, right? And so too from the spiritual standpoint, when everything is good right now, you've got to prepare. Goliath will come sooner or later. He'll come with a challenge. He'll come looking for trouble. He'll come looking for you. That is a guarantee, all but a guarantee. It will happen, friends. So, if you're not of that group that's facing Goliath right now, God is gracious. And you can't take this time for granted. Now, as never before, we need to make an earnest preparation to learn to walk with Jesus, to discern and hear His voice, to understand His guiding hand, and to know Him personally as our Lord and Savior. Regret, it's just that. It's too late. But Jesus, He's waiting right now. He always is. He's knocking on the door of our hearts. He wants to gain entrance. He wants to clean up our lives. He wants to prepare us for something bigger, and greater beyond just our own lives and ourselves. He wants to be your rock and your refuge and your Redeemer and Savior. Why don't you let Him today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I want to thank you because you're so gracious to each and every one of us. Many of us, we just like to enjoy the pleasures of this life and we forget you for a season. Many of us, we, we're like Saul. We're happy in the good times. 
But man, are we depressed in the bad times. Lord, please help us not to be like that. Help us to be even keel. Help us to have an abiding trust, a trust that cannot be shaken no matter what happens to us. And so, Father, please, I pray for those out there this evening that might be suffering. They're facing tremendous trials. They need your help. I pray that you would speak so tenderly and dearly to them and that you help them to see that you are the solver of all their problems, whether it's financial, whether it's health, no matter what it is, whether it's emotional, Lord, help them to understand that you can help them. And for those that have not met the Goliaths in their lives, Lord, help us. Help us not to be naive. Help us not to be thinking that this will never happen to us. Lord, life, it comes at us fast. And I just pray that you please help us today in times of peace to prepare for the times of war. Guide us, O Lord, and help us to make that diligent preparation today that will become a habit, a habit to walk with you so we can discern your voice, especially in the troublous times. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.